Y'all are going to have to remind me to stay hydrated because I'm pretty sure I just sweated out all of my water. Oh, interesting. More technical difficulties. Can't get my AC off. <laughs> what a day. What a day. We kick it off with a hype train and then everything goes south from there. Okay. Let's read. I think I've said that eight times now. What is this? What is this? Amateur. <laughs> this is amateur effort tonight. What are we doing? Scooter Patrol, what is going on? <laughs> this is where this is where Sam's demeanor changes entirely because I want it to sound normal. I want it to sound normal. Hello, everyone. How are you? It's very nice to see you all here. Hello. Sparkle Lovegood says, I am just dying with joy at the prospect of a reread of Harry Potter. I would really like to do that. I mentioned it when I brought it up. That is not like a short-term plan by any means. We're going into tonight excited. We're going into tonight with some big energy, okay? I want you all to do your calisthenics. I recognize those are not calisthenics. I know it sounded like that's what I thought, but no. I gotta get prepped. I gotta get ready because tonight is the finale. You hear me? It's the finale of a new book. You know, our, our new series here, the very first book is over already. First book is officially over in the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series. We're going into this, into tonight, with some good energy. We're going to meet some new characters. We're going to see how th some things culminate. And we may, hopefully, finally see what on earth happened. What was the conspiracy that put Percy in between near war between gods well we may very well find out tonight uh jade dragon says i've got a subscription question would it be better to sub on twitch and patreon or just put it all on patreon i would say i would go for i mean i would say patreon overall i would say patreon i'm really trying to build that out as something that both of us me and all of you are really going to enjoy i have already posted as a matter of fact tomorrow is going to be the very first one tomorrow is going to be the first behind the scenes uh of sidecar stories i did a uh, a little video it's like 10 minutes long um and i edit it together uh Cass said it was funny, so I'm hoping y'all will enjoy it, but that will be over there tomorrow, and uh, y'all keep in mind also for all of this, this is going to be the sort of thing that changes over time. I may move things. Uh, every one of the sources said start with, start with things on a higher tier and bump them down to a lower tier. You definitely don't want to go the other direction at any point, so... I'm trying to be careful about that. I'm trying to be mindful of that. So it's possible that some of that stuff will bump down. And as I've mentioned before, the plan is for all of that to become public eventually. The, the things that end up on Patreon as sort of patrons only, that is almost always going to be temporary. Eventually, it's going to uh, drop for the larger, the larger population. I'm starting essentially two new, and they're going to be much shorter than my other shows. I'm essentially starting two new shows over there right now. Um, and the plan is for one of them to be behind the scenes, where I talk about, you know, sort of what it's like for me to stream here, how I stream, how I set up, etc. And then the other one is going to be, and this one was kind of at Jade Dragon's suggestion, 
it's going to be more of a podcast style wherein I talk about, I mean, I talk about the, the things that I enjoy and it, some of it's going to be kind of review a little bit. Some of it's just going to be me talking about things and stories that I've enjoyed over time. That was Jade Dragon's idea. And then I kind of had this brain blast of, you know what I could do? I could just give you all a tour of my bookshelf. You know, I can, I can give it little episodes for each thing on there because everything up there pretty much has a story to tell. Some of it is books and some of it is not books. And so I'm starting with uh, Ike's Egg. Many of y'all will be familiar with this. So here is Ike's Egg and this is the the, uh, the subject of episode one. Uh, but yeah, those are going to be short. I imagine like 15 to 20 minutes. You can find both of those over on Patreon and then eventually everywhere. I've got a whole post on sort of my, my whole attitude about Patreon in general. Uh, and basically the big highlight of it is I want to be partners with my patrons to help me to bring more of this to everyone. Now, everybody, everybody, <laughs> I think it's time we sort of jump in and talk a little bit about what we're going to be reading today. As I mentioned, this is our last chapter, last chapter for this book, last two chapters, I should say. Um, it's going to be a slightly longer than average one, but it's also not going to be super, super long. So I think it should be a pretty comfortable stream. We're going to land nicely. It's not going to be a short one, I can promise you that much. JCA says, Sam, you are great at names, and I'm glad and jealous. I'm not. JCA, Gertie, you're telling lies to everyone right now. I am not good with names. Um, for some reason, uh, uh, some folks just sort of stick. And I have noticed I am way, way better with names here than I am in real life. It's really nuts, and maybe it's because I don't have a face to connect it to, because I'm pretty good with faces, but that doesn't do me any favors if I can't put the name with it. And so when I don't have all of your faces to memorize, I think I'm just able to focus a bit more on the name, because that is the only thing I know you by. Does that make sense? Does that click with folks? <laughs> Mikey says, I'm generally falling asleep rather than lurking. That is another perfectly appropriate method for using sidecar stories in your daily life. What can sidecar stories do for you? Well, unfortunately for some, maybe not help you fall asleep so good. <laughs> uh, I've definitely noticed there are some moments where I get a little bit shouty. I get a little shouty in here. We get some of these characters arguing with one another, and there's nothing to do but uh, go ahead and holla out, you know? My Balma says, I love listening while cooking dinner. Had to wash my hands just to do this. But yeah, kind of a, we got the Lurk Squad. <laughs> Welcome all lurkers, says Gertie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Fabriella says, are you a visual learner? I remember names way better when I see them, like on a name tag. And do you know what's weird, Fabriella? I'm not. I tend to remember much better when I hear things. Uh, so I couldn't tell you the reason why this is so strange, but hey, that's where we're at. Um, let's jump into our review, shall we? Let's talk about it. Review. Chapters 19 and 20. We are following Percy as he is nearing the end of his journey. We find out the truth, sort of, is the title of chapter 19. And of course, in this chapter, we know that Percy is sort of looking down the barrel of the you know, time running out, looking down the barrel of uh, this the, the, the war between these gods, World War III in all likelihood. And so he has to get to Hades and get this bolt back. Well, he gets to Hades. Well, Hades doesn't have the bolt. As a matter of fact, two really important things pop up. Hades says, look, I don't want any more subjects. It's been nuts down here. As a matter of fact, I've had to like spend all this money, even though I'm a pretty rich god, all things considered. So, Hades doesn't have the bolt. In fact, he's as baffled as anyone is. 
Then he sort of says, you know what, Percy, go ahead and open up your backpack. My helm of invisibility has been stolen as well, but I know you brought the bolt with you here today, and lo and behold, Percy opens his backpack, and there it is. He's been set up. We don't find out why or how until later, at which point we head down uh, to kind of the real reckoning. Now, Hades insists he's not going to let Percy's mother go, and Percy only has three... Did I say it wrong, Iroh? I meant the Helm of Darkness. If I said it wrong, then I, I meant Helm of Darkness. Um, the, the Helm of Darkness is still missing, but turns out Percy does indeed have this um, and uh, have this, this master bolt, and it's in his backpack. He knows he's been set up, and he manages to escape the underworld, but not before, I should say, not with his mother. He's only got three pearls, and he uses them for himself, knowing that he will come back for his mother, for Grover, knowing that Grover has important things to do, and for Annabeth, knowing that she also has a mission to complete, and for all three of them, knowing that this is what his mother would have wanted. Percy keeps his friends with him. He keeps his mom back in um, uh, the realm of Hades. He holds on to the Master Bolt. He doesn't know where the Helm of Darkness is until just a moment later. He meets up with Ares, the god who tricked him, the god who seems to want war. They fight, but they realize that Ares might not be the one who's in control here, and they realize it's whatever's in that pit, the pit at Tartarus. That is whatever's really in control. Percy manages to wound Ares before Ares disappears in a, a, a sort of a cloud of his true self, essentially, and that is roughly where we are at. Percy has the Master Bolt, Percy has the Helm of Darkness, and he sends the Helm of Darkness back via the, um, the Furies to Hades, and that is roughly where we leave off. Everybody... Everybody, and once again, especially Solderfish, once again, for dealing with maybe less of a technical issue than you might have imagined, but certainly uh, a, an issue of technical panic. Thank you so much, Solderfish. Y'all, once again, yep, heart, uh, hands up for Solderfish. Solderfish is the realist, y'all. Here we go. Here we go. We are skidding down the tracks. We're off. Chapter 21. I settle my tab. It's funny how humans can wrap their minds around things and fit them into their version of reality. Chiron had told me that a long time ago. As usual, I didn't appreciate his wisdom until much later. According to the LA News, the explosion at the Santa Monica Beach had been caused when a crazed kidnapper fired a shotgun at a police car. He accidentally hit a gas main that had ruptured during the earthquake. The crazy kidnapper, a.k.a. Ares, was the same man who had abducted me and two other adolescents in New York and brought us across country on a ten-day odyssey of terror. Poor little Percy Jackson wasn't an international criminal after all. He'd caused a commotion on that Greyhound bus in New Jersey trying to get away from his captor, and afterward witnesses would even swear that they had seen the leather-clad man on the bus. Why didn't I remember him before? The crazy man had caused an explosion in the St. Louis Arch. After all, no kid could have done that. A concerned waitress in Denver had seen the man threatening his abductees outside their diner. Gotten a friend to take a photo and notified the police. Finally, 
brave Percy Jackson, I was beginning to like this kid, had stolen a gun from his capture in Los Angeles and battled him shotgun to rifle on the beach. Police had arrived just in time, but in the spectacular explosion, five police cars had been destroyed and the captor had fled. No fatalities had occurred. Percy Jackson and his two friends were safely in police custody. The reporters fed this whole story to us. We just nodded and acted tearful and exhausted, which wasn't hard, and played victimized kids for the cameras. All I want, I said, choking back my tears, is to see my loving stepfather again. Every time I saw him on TV calling me a delinquent punk, I knew, somehow, we were going to be okay. And I know he'll want to reward each and every person in this beautiful city of Los Angeles with a free major appliance from his store. Here's the phone number. The police and reporters were so moved that they passed around the hat and raised money for three tickets on the next plane to New York. I knew there was no choice but to fly. I hoped Zeus would cut me some slack, considering the circumstances, but it was still hard to force myself on board that flight. Takeoff was a nightmare. Every spot of turbulence was scarier than a Greek monster. I didn't unclench my hands from the armrests until we touched down safely at LaGuardia. Local press was waiting for us outside security, but we managed to evade them thanks to Annabeth, who lured them away, using her invisible Yankees cap, shouting, They're over by the frozen yogurt! Come on! And rejoined us at the baggage claim. We split up at the taxi stand. I told Annabeth and Grover to get back to Half-Blood Hill and let Chiron know what had happened. They protested, and it was hard to let them go after all we'd been through, but I knew I had to do this last part of the quest by myself. If things went wrong, if the gods didn't believe me, I wanted Annabeth and Grover to survive to tell Chiron the truth. I hopped a taxi and headed to Manhattan. Thirty minutes later, I walked into the lobby of the Empire State Building. I must have looked like a homeless kid with my tattered clothes and my scraped up face. I hadn't slept in at least 24 hours. I went up to the guard desk at the front and said, 600th floor. He was reading a huge book with a picture of a wizard on the front. I wasn't much into fantasy, but that book must have been good because it took the security guard a while to look up. Hey, no such floor, kiddo. I need an audience with Zeus. He gave me a vacant smile. Sorry? You heard me. I was about to decide this guy was just a regular mortal, and I'd better run for it before he called the straitjacket patrol when he said, No boy McKid, no audience. Lord Zeus doesn't see anyone unannounced. Oh, I think he'll make an exception. I slipped off my backpack and unzipped the top. The guard looked inside at the metal cylinder, not getting what it was for a few seconds, and then his face went pale. Now that, that isn't... Yeah, it is, I promised. I'm going to take it out and... No, 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 no. He scrambled out of his seat, fumbled around the desk for a key card, and then handed it to me. Insert this in the security slot. Make sure nobody else is on the elevator with you. I did as he told me. 
As soon as the elevator door closed, I slipped the key into the slot. The card disappeared and a new button appeared on the console. A red one that said, 600. I pressed it and waited. And waited. Muzak played, Raindrops keep falling on my head. Finally, the doors slid open. I slipped out and almost had a heart attack. I was standing on a narrow stone walkway in the middle of the air. Below me was Manhattan, from the height of an airplane. In front of me, white marble steps wound up the spine of a cloud into the sky. My eyes followed the stairway to its end where my brain just could not accept what it saw. Look again, my brain said. We're looking, my eyes insisted. It's really there. From the top of the clouds rose the decapitated peak of a mountain, its summit covered with snow. Clinging to the mountainside were dozens of multi-leveled palaces, a city of mansions, all with white-columned porticos, gilded terraces, and bronze braziers glowing with a thousand fires. Roads wound crazily up to the peak, where the largest palace gleamed against the snow. Precariously perched gardens bloomed with olive trees and rose bushes. I could make out an open-air market filled with colorful tents, a stone amphitheater built into one side of the mountain, a hippodrome and a coliseum on the other. It was an ancient Greek city, except it wasn't in ruins. It was new and clean and colorful, the way Athens must have looked... 2,500 years ago. This place can't be here, I told myself. The tip of a mountain hanging over New York City like a billion-ton asteroid? How could something like that be anchored above the Empire State Building in plain sight of millions of people and not get noticed? But here it was. Here I was. My trip through Olympus was a daze. I passed some giggling wood nymphs who threw olives at me from their garden. Hawkers in the market offered to sell me ambrosia on a stick and a new shield and a genuine glitter-weave replica of the Golden Fleece, as seen on Hephaestus TV. The nine muses were tuning their instruments for a concert in the park, while a small crowd gathered, satyrs and naiads and a bunch of good-looking teenagers who must have been minor gods and goddesses. Nobody seemed worried about an impending civil war. In fact, everybody seemed in a festive mood. Several of them turned to watch me pass. They whispered to themselves. I climbed the main road toward the big palace at the peak. It was a reverse copy of the palace in the underworld. There, everything had been black and bronze. Here, everything glittered white and silver. I realized Hades must have built his palace to resemble this one. He wasn't welcome at Olympus, except at the winter solstice, so he'd built his own Olympus underground. Despite my bad experience with him, I felt a little sorry for the guy. To be banished from this place seemed really unfair. It would make anybody bitter. Steps led up into a central courtyard. Past that, the throne room. Room isn't really the right word. 
The place made Grand Central Station look like a broom closet. Massive columns rose to a domed ceiling which was gilded with moving constellations. Twelve thrones, built for beings the size of Hades, were arranged in an inverted U, just like the cabins at Camp Half-Blood. An enormous fire crackled in the central hearth pit. The thrones were empty except for the two at the end. The head thrown on the right and the one to its immediate left. I didn't have to be told who the two gods that were sitting there were, waiting for me to approach. I came toward them, my legs trembling. The gods were in giant human form, as Hades had been, but I could barely look at them without feeling a tingle, as if my body were starting to burn. Zeus, the lord of the gods, wore a dark blue pinstriped suit. He sat on a simple throne of solid platinum. He had a well-trimmed beard, marbled gray and black like a storm cloud. His face was proud and handsome and grim, his eyes rainy gray. As I got nearer to him, the air crackled and smelled of ozone. The god sitting next to him was his brother, without a doubt, but he was dressed very differently. He reminded me of a beachcomber from Key West. He wore leather sandals, khaki Bermuda shorts, and a Tommy Bahama shirt with coconuts and parrots all over it. His skin was deeply tanned, his hands scarred like an old-time fisherman's. His hair was black, like mine. His face had that same brooding look that had always gotten me branded as a rebel, but his eyes, sea-green like mine, were surrounded by sun crinkles that told me he smiled a lot too. His throne was a deep-sea fisherman's chair. It was the simple swiveling kind with a black leather seat and a built-in holster for a fishing pole. Instead of a pole, the holster held a bronze trident flickering with green light around the tips. The gods weren't moving or speaking, but there was a tension in the air, as if they had just finished an argument. I approached the fisherman's throne and knelt at his feet. Father? I dared not look up. My heart was racing. I could feel the energy emanating from the two gods. If I said the wrong thing, I had no doubts they could blast me into dust. <sighs> to my left, Zeus spoke. Have you not addressed the master of his house first, boy? I kept my head down and waited. Peace, brother. Poseidon finally said. His voice stirred my oldest memories. That warm glow I remembered as a baby. The sensation of this god's hand on my forehead. The boy defers to his father. This is only right. You still claim him, then? Zeus said menacingly. You claim this child who you sired against our sacred oath. I have admitted my wrongdoing, Poseidon said. I would like to hear him speak. Wrongdoing. 
A lump swelled in my throat. Was that all I was? A wrongdoing? The result of a god's mistake? I've spared him once already, Zeus grumbled, daring to fly through my domain. <laughs> I should have blasted him out of the sky for his impudence. And risk destroying your own master bolt, Poseidon asked calmly. Let us hear him out, brother. Zeus grumbled once more. I shall listen, he decided. Then I shall make up my mind whether or not to cast this boy down from Olympus. Perseus, Poseidon said. You look at me. I did, and I wasn't sure what I saw in his face. There was no clear sign of love or approval, nothing to encourage me. It was like looking at the ocean. Some days you could tell what mood it was in. Most days, though, it was unreadable, mysterious. I got the feeling Poseidon didn't really know what to think of me. He didn't know whether he was happy to have me as a son or not. In a strange way, I was glad Poseidon was so distant. If he had tried to apologize, or told me that he loved me or even smiled, it would have felt fake. Like a human dad making some lame excuse for not being around. I could live with that. After all, I wasn't sure about him yet either. Address Lord Zeus, boy, Poseidon told me. Yeah, tell him your story. So I told Zeus everything, just as it had happened. I took out the metal cylinder, which began sparkling in the sky god's presence, and I laid it at his feet. There was a long silence, broken only by the crackle of the hearth fire. Zeus opened his palm. The lightning bolt flew into it. As he closed his fist, the metallic points flared with electricity until he was holding what looked like the more classic thunderbolt, a twenty-foot javelin of arcing, hissing energy that made the hairs on my scalp rise. I can sense that the boy tells the truth, Zeus muttered. What that Ares would do such a thing? It's most unlike him. He is proud and impulsive, Poseidon said. He runs in the family. Lord? I asked. They both said. Yes? Ares didn't act alone. Someone else, something else, came up with that idea. I described my dreams, and I had the feeling that I'd had on the beach, that momentary breath of evil that seemed to stop the world and made Ares back off from killing me. In the dreams, the voice told me to bring the boat to the underworld. Ares hinted that he'd been having the dreams too. I think he was being used, just as I was, to start a war. So you're accusing Hades after all? Zeus asked. No, I said. I mean, Lord Zeus, I've, I've been in the presence of Hades. 
This feeling on the beach was different. It was the same thing I felt when I got close to that pit. That was the entrance to Tartarus, wasn't it? Something powerful and evil stirring down there. Something even older than the gods. Poseidon and Zeus looked at each other. They had a quick, intense discussion in ancient Greek. I only caught one word. Father. Poseidon made some kind of suggestion, but Zeus cut him off. Poseidon tried to argue. Zeus held up his hand angrily. We'll speak of this no more, Zeus said. I must go personally and purify this thunderbolt in the waters of Lemnos to remove the human taint from the metal. He rose and looked at me. His expression softened just a fraction of a degree. You've done me a service, boy. Few heroes could have accomplished as much. I had some help, sir, I said. Grover Underwood and Annabeth Chase. To show you my thanks, I shall spare your life. I do not trust you, Perseus Jackson. I do not like what your arrival means for the future of Olympus. But for the sake of peace in the family, I shall let you live. Um, thank you, sir. Do not presume to fly again. Do not let me find you here when I return, otherwise you shall taste this boat, and it shall be your last sensation. Thunder shook the palace. With a blinding flash of lightning, Zeus was gone. I was alone in the room with my father. Your uncle, Poseidon sighed, has always had a flair for dramatic exits. I think he would have done well as a god of theater. In uncomfortable silence. Sir, I said, what was in that pit? Poseidon regarded me. Have you not guessed? Kronos, I said. The king of the Titans. Even in the throne room of Olympus, far away from Tartarus, the name Kronos darkened the room, made the hearth fire seem not quite so warm on my back. Poseidon gripped his trident. In the first war, Percy, Zeus cut our father Kronos into a thousand pieces, just as Kronos had done to his own father, Oranos. Zeus cast Kronos' remains into the darkest pit of Tartarus. The Titan army was scattered, their mountain fortress on Etna destroyed, their monstrous allies driven to the furthest corners of the earth. And yet Titans cannot die any more than we gods can. Whatever is left of Kronos is still alive in some hideous way, still conscious in his eternal pain, still hungering for power. He's healing, I said. He's coming back. Poseidon shook his head. 
From time to time, over the eons, Kronos has stirred. He enters man's nightmares and breathes evil thoughts. He wakens restless monsters from the depths, but to suggest he could rise from the pits, that's another thing. That's what he intends, Father. That's what he said. Poseidon was silent for a long time. Lord Zeus has closed this discussion on the matter. He will not allow talk of Kronos. You have completed your quest, child. That is all you need to do. But I stopped myself. Arguing would do no good. It would very possibly anger the only god who I had left on my side. As... As you wish, father. A smile played on his lips. Obedience does not come naturally to you, does it? No, sir. I must take some of the blame for that, I suppose. The sea does not like to be restrained. He rose up to his full height and took up his trident. Then he shimmered and became the size of a regular man standing directly in front of me. You must go, child. But first, know that your mother has returned. I stared at him, completely stunned. My mother? Yeah, you'll find her at home. Hades sent her when you recovered his helm. Even the Lord of Death pays his debts. My heart was pounding. I couldn't believe it. Do you... Would you... I wanted to ask if Poseidon would come with me to see her, but then I realized that was ridiculous. I imagined loading the god of the sea into a taxi and taking him to the Upper East Side. If he'd wanted to see my mom after all these years, he would have. And there was Smelly Gabe to think about. Poseidon's eyes took on a little sadness. When you return home, Percy, you must make an important choice. You'll find a package waiting for you in your room. A package? You understand it when you see it. No one can choose your path, Percy. You must decide. I nodded, though I didn't know what he meant. Your mother is a queen among women, Poseidon said wistfully. I had not met such a mortal woman in a thousand years. Still, I am sorry that you were born, child. I've brought you a hero's fate, and a hero's fate is never happy. It's never anything but tragic. I tried not to feel hurt. Here was my own dad telling me he was sorry I'd been born. I don't mind, father. Not yet, perhaps, he said. Not yet. But it was an unforgivable mistake on my part. I'll... 
I'll leave you then. I bowed awkwardly. I... I won't bother you again. I was five steps away when he called. Perseus? I turned. There was a different light in his eyes. A fiery kind of pride. You did well, Perseus. Do not misunderstand me. Whatever else you do, know that you are mine. You are a true son of the sea god. As I walked back through the city of the gods, conversations stopped. The muses paused their concert. People in satyrs and naiads all turned toward me, their faces filled with respect and gratitude. And as I passed, they knelt, as if I were some kind of hero. Where's my noise at? Hold on. Where's my sound at? It's not over yet. This isn't even, this isn't even the end of this chapter, much less the end of both of our chapters. Here we go. Fifteen minutes later, still in a trance, I was back on the streets of Manhattan. I caught a taxi to my mom's apartment, rang the doorbell, and there she was. My beautiful mother, smelling of peppermint and licorice, the weariness and worry evaporating from her face as soon as she saw me. Oh, Percy, thank goodness. Oh, my baby. She crushed the air right out of me. We stood in the doorway, and she cried and ran her hands through my hair. I'll admit it. My eyes were a little misty, too. I was shaking. I was so relieved to see her. She told me she had just appeared at the apartment that morning, scaring Gabe half out of his wits. She didn't remember anything since the Minotaur and couldn't believe when Gabe told her I was a wanted criminal traveling across the country blowing up national monuments. She'd been going out of her mind with worry all day because she hadn't heard anything of the news. Gabe had forced her to go into work, saying she had a month's salary to make up and she'd better get started. I swallowed back my anger and told her my own story. I tried to make it sound less scary than it had been, but that wasn't easy. I was just getting to the fight with Ares when Gabe's voice interrupted from the living room. Hey, hey, Sally! Sally! Is that meatloaf done yet or what? She closed her eyes. He isn't going to be happy to see you, Percy. The store got half a million phone calls today from Los Angeles, something about free appliances. <laughs> yeah, about that. She managed a weak smile. Just don't make him angrier, all right? Come on. In the month that I had been gone, the apartment had turned into Gabe land. Garbage was ankle-deep on the carpet. The sofa had been reupholstered in beer cans. Dirty socks and underwear hung off the lampshades. Gabe and three of his big goony friends were playing poker at the table. 
When Gabe saw me, his cigar dropped out of his mouth. His face got redder than lava. Oh, you got some nerve coming in here, you little punk. I thought that the police... He's not a fugitive after all, my mom interjected. Isn't that wonderful, Gabe? Gabe looked back and forth between us. He didn't seem to think my homecoming was so wonderful. It's bad enough I had to give back your life insurance money, Sally, he growled. Give me the phone. I'm going to call the cops. Gabe, no. He raised his eyebrows. Did you just say no? You think I'm going to put up with this punk again? I can still press charges on him for ruining my Camaro. But he raised his hand and my mother flinched. For the first time, I realized something. Gabe had hit my mother. I didn't know when or how much, but I was sure he'd done it. Maybe it had been going on for years when I wasn't around. A balloon of anger started expanding in my chest. I came toward Gabe, instinctively taking a pen out of my pocket. He just laughed. What, punk? You gonna write on me? You touch me and you're going to jail forever, you understand? Hey, Gabe, his friend Eddie interrupted. He's just a kid. Gabe looked at him resentfully and mimicked in a falsetto voice. Hey, just a kid. His other friends laughed like idiots. I'm gonna be nice to you, punk. Gabe showed his tobacco-stained teeth. I'll give you five minutes to clear your stuff out. After that, I call the police. Gabe, my mother pleaded. He ran away, Gabe told her. Let him stay gone. I was itching to uncap Riptide, but even if I did, the blade wouldn't hurt humans. And Gabe, by the loosest definition, was human. My mother took my arm. Please, Percy, come on. We'll go to your room. I let her pull me away, my hands still trembling with rage. My room had been completely filled with Gabe's junk. Here were stacks of used car batteries, a rotting bouquet of sympathy flowers with a card from someone who had seen his Barbara Walters interview. Gabe is just upset, honey, my mother told me. I'll talk to him later. I'm, I'm sure it'll work out. Mom, it's never going to work out. Not as long as Gabe's here. She wrung her hands nervously. I can, I can take you to work with me for the rest of the summer. In the fall, maybe there's another boarding school. Mom. She lowered her eyes. I'm trying, Percy. I, I just, I need some time. A package appeared on my bed. At least I could have sworn it hadn't been there a moment before. It was a battered cardboard box about the right size to fit a basketball. The address in the mailing slip was in my own handwriting. The Gods, Mount Olympus, 600th floor, Empire State Building, New York, New York. With best wishes, Percy Jackson. Over the top, in black marker, in a man's clear, bold print, was the address of our apartment, and the words, Return to Sender. 
Suddenly I understood what Poseidon had told me on Olympus. A package. A decision. Whatever else you do, know that you are mine. You are a true son of the sea god. I looked at my mother. Mom? Do you want Gabe gone? Percy, it isn't that simple. I, Mom, just tell me. That jerky's been hitting you. Do you want him gone or not? She hesitated and then nodded almost imperceptibly. Yes, Percy, I do. And I'm trying to get up my courage to tell him, but you can't do this for me. You, you can't solve my problems. I looked at the box. I could solve her problem. I wanted to slice that package open, plop it on the poker table, and take out what was inside. I could start my very own statue garden right here in the living room. That's what a Greek hero would do in the stories, I thought. That's what Gabe deserves. But a hero's story always ended in tragedy. Poseidon had told me that. I remembered the underworld. I thought about Gabe's spirit drifting forever in the fields of Asphodel, or condemned to some hideous torture behind the barbed wire of the fields of punishment. An eternal poker game sitting up to his waist in boiling oil listening to opera music. Did I have the right to send someone over there? Even Gabe? A month ago, I wouldn't have hesitated. Now... I can do it, I told my mom. One look inside this box and he'll never bother you again. She glanced into the package and seemed to understand immediately. No, Percy, she said, stepping away. You can't. Poseidon called you a queen, I told her. He said he hadn't met a woman like you in a thousand years. Her cheeks flushed. Percy, you deserve better than this, Mom. You should go to college. You get your degree. You can write your novel. Meet a nice guy, maybe. I don't live in a nice house. You don't need to protect me anymore by staying with Gabe. Let me get rid of him. She wiped a tear off her cheek. You sound so much like your father, she said. He offered to stop the tide for me once. Offered to build me a palace at the bottom of the sea. He thought that he could solve all my problems with a wave of his hand. What's wrong with that? Her multicolored eyes seemed to search inside me. I think you know, Percy. I think you're enough like me to understand. If my life is going to mean anything, I have to live with it myself. I can't let a god take care of me or my son. I have to... Gotta find the courage on my own. Your quest has reminded me of that. We listened to the sound of poker chips and swearing. ESPN from the living room television. I'm gonna leave the box, I said. If he threatens you... She looked pale, but she nodded. Where will you go, Percy? Half-Blood Hill. 
for the summer or forever? Well, I guess that depends. We locked eyes and I sensed we had an agreement. We would see how things stood at the end of summer. She kissed my forehead. You'll be a hero, Percy. You'll be the greatest of all. I took one last look around my bedroom. I had a feeling I'd never see it again. Then I walked with my mother to the front door. Are you leaving so soon, punk? Gabe called after me. Hey, good riddance. I had one last twinge of doubt. How could I turn down the perfect chance to take revenge on him? I was leaving here without saving my mother. Hey, Sally! He yelled. What about that meatloaf, huh? A steely look of anger flared in my mother's eyes, and I thought, just maybe, I was leaving her in good hands after all. Her own. Meatloaf's coming right up, dear, she told Gabe. Meatloaf surprise. She looked at me and winked. The last thing I saw as the door swung closed was my mother staring at Gabe, as if she were contemplating how he would look as a garden statue. Now, everyone, that is the end of our first chapter, and I'm going to have to leave you with a Chatterbrick question really quickly. Our Chatterbrick question is, what do we think of the gods right now? Not necessarily what does Percy think, but I want to hear all of your takes on Poseidon and uh, Zeus, especially. There's our question. Um, and don't don't worry too much about the situation in this apartment right here. I know this is really important to some people, and as such, I don't mind this one when it comes to spoilers. Toward the beginning of the next chapter, we're going to get some sort of resolution to that issue, I promise you. So, there we go. I'll be back in just a moment. Um, I'm going to start the timer. Uh, it might be slightly longer because I got a phone call that I have to return here. Um, but I will see you all in just a bit. Adios. Bye-bye. And hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are back indeed. So, <laughs> what a week, everyone. I was just telling Discord about it slightly before we came back online here. What a week it has been. Uh, thank you for being patient through that slightly longer than average break. We are now heading toward um, uh, our very final chapter. This is it. This is the last one. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there's going to be some resolve to this as we move forward. Um, and... What have we figured out about the gods? Miriam Carpenter, which I think is a voice that I have not heard from very often here. Hello and welcome, Miriam. Yeah, I don't like Zeus. Miriam says, I don't like Zeus. And you know what? I think that's fair, especially right now, right? <laughs> Man Saves Lives says, Zeus is pretty much exactly what I expected. Poseidon was cooler than I expected. I liked him smiling when Percy called him dad. That was kind of a nice moment, right? And if y'all can't tell from my terrible, terrible, terrible impression, I was shooting for, because I think my dream casting for this would be Matthew McConaughey. That's what I went with for that one. Um, 
I think uh, Matthew McConaughey would be a pretty good casting for this. That was what I went with. Not Zeus. No. Did I say Zeus? No, definitely Poseidon. Poseidon, Matthew McConaughey. Zeus um, was, I would say, yeah, Sean Connery-ish, but I, I more just sort of leaned into, we'll call it a a caricature of Scott's. Um, and yeah, I do think we have seen a bit of progress, really. You know, if we... If we're trying to consider, like, what does it mean to really, like, live with the gods or, or live with their influence, I think we could call this a bit of progress. Finally... Poseidon has in some way at least recognized the existence of Percy. And it seems like that recognition is something positive. That could be a good thing. It, we don't get a ton. And, and frankly, I think we're getting a real solid picture at this point that really the gods don't intend to get particularly involved with their children. It's a pretty rough way of looking at it altogether, right? I think this scene could have gone a lot of different ways. I know Percy wasn't really knowing what to expect, wasn't knowing what to expect. Percy didn't know what to expect when he walked in here, into this conversation, into this meeting with his father. It could have gone all sorts of ways, and I'm sure there was a part of Percy that wondered, like, is it going to be that Poseidon, upon seeing me, is suddenly going to, like, welcome me into the fold, or what have you, and it seems like this meeting just sort of confirmed, overall, the attitude of the gods, at least to me, and... What it reads like to me is simply that the gods, the gods don't care as much. They don't so much care. And I'm sure some would say, depending on the perspective, you know, that like uh, they've just got a lot going on. And others would say, well, they've also got the power of a god. And so, you know, what are they really expending so much energy elsewhere that they can't sort of take a small portion of that godly ability and apply it toward being a parent? And, you know, some of it's goes on this pact but of course the pact itself can be broken so why not be able to sort of you know it's it's a bit like following the intent of the law when you've got the intent of the law so wrong right because the the letter of the law is that the gods aren't supposed to have children i think that would mean i think you know following the the letter of that law would mean don't have children but if you do i don't think it follows the letter of the law um to be a part of your child's life necessarily in the same way i don't you know if if they are like if they're talking about the spirit of the law then their sense of the spirit of the law to like not be a part of the child's life must be a pretty wild one but of course there is this idea that heroes have some sort of greater power interacting with the gods than others these are questions that I think are really going to play out, for the most part, throughout this series. Not so much just here during one book. I think that might be too much to expect. But, only one way to find out. We're going to keep rolling on through. So, we of course have our review from last time. Um, in our previous chapter, it is a fairly straightforward one. One that is... Difficult for a lot of different reasons, but one that doesn't have a lot of like plot points to it, frankly. We begin with Percy approaching Mount Olympus, and when he arrives, he delivers the bolt to Zeus. And he has a brief discussion with Zeus and Poseidon, the only two gods that are currently there. He says that Ares may not have been the one sort of at the heart of all this, something older Something older was back in 
back in the uh, back in the pit in Tartarus. And of course, many of you have guessed at this point, it is Kronos, K R O N O S, Kronos. This is the god. This well, sorry, it's not a god. Uh, it was it was sort of the father of um, of Zeus and Poseidon and many of the other gods. But basically, it was killed but it can't really be killed a, a titan thank you tenacia yeah a titan it, it was killed but it can't really be killed so the parts of it are still alive in some sort of horrifying way down in that pit of tartarus and that is what percy believes is kind of making the calling the shots here and we find that zeus doesn't really want to talk about it he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to, either he doesn't believe it, or he simply refuses to act on it. And I think we can draw some parallels back to Harry Potter in this respect. Maybe not so much Rufus Scrimgeour, but certainly uh, Minister of Magic Fudge. I think we can see, like, why why people do some of these things when they're clearly in the wrong. Um, with all this, uh, Zeus goes off, and it sounds like Percy's big reward for returning the bolt is simply that... Zeus isn't going to strike him dead right here. Not much of a reward, but he does have a chance to finally have a conversation with his father, face to face. Poseidon mentions that basically he thinks highest of Percy's mother, and that in fact Percy's mother is going to be back at the apartment when he goes back to sort of real person world. Poseidon really kind of claims Percy as his own to his face. And that's most of what we get from that section. Not nearly as much of a, you know, a grand reuniting as we might have thought. Not nearly as much as the, not nearly as much of the, um, the moment that one might expect from that. Where it sort of changes their relationship. I think all in all, the relationship between Percy and Poseidon has not substantially changed. A lot of it's very similar to what it was before. I'm going to be trying to be careful about language here because, you know, I, I really, I'm going to go ahead and put a trigger warning on this whole uh, video when it goes up, but I'm going to try to be careful with my language here because I know this is a very difficult subject. When he arrives back home, his mother is indeed there, um, but she is in a very bad situation with Gabe. Uh, Gabe is being cruel and we think possibly abusive, but I mean, it seems fairly likely here. And as we move away from this scene... Percy has decided to leave his mom there um, and move out, essentially, because Gabe is kind of kicking him out. Um, and he decides to leave his mom with the head of Medusa in the box, just in case. Just in case. And Percy is going to leave and live at Camp Half-Blood. Now, forever, or just for the summer, it's unclear as of right now. But now we're going into our final chapter. We shall find out. Everyone, I want to thank you all very, very much very very much for joining me here today thank you all for uh being decent as far as i've seen in the chat i know some of these things like this brings up some really heavy discussions. <laughs> stay respectful i appreciate it thank you so much and let's go into our final chapter and thanks just in general everyone for joining me uh, throughout the entire adventure that is percy jackson um, it has been not the longest adventure we've ever had, certainly, but it's been a fun one. A lot of new voices popping in, and I'm looking forward to our next book, which, as far as I'm concerned, we're starting next week. Let's go. Chapter 22. The Prophecy Comes True. We were the first heroes to return alive to Camp Half-Blood since Luke, 
So, of course, everybody treated us as if we'd won some reality TV contest. According to camp tradition, we wore laurel wreaths to a big feast prepared in our honor, and then led a procession down to the bonfire, where we got to burn the burial shrouds our cabins had made for us in our absence. Annabeth's shroud was so beautiful. Gray silk with embroidered owls. I told her it seemed a shame not to bury her in it. Uh, she punished me and told me to shut up. Being the son of Poseidon, I didn't have any cabin mates, so the Ares cabin had volunteered to make my shroud. They'd taken an old bedsheet and painted smiley faces with X'd out eyes around the border and the word loser painted really big in the middle. It was fun to burn. As Apollo's cabin led the sing-along and passed out s'mores, I was surrounded by my old Hermes cabin mates. Annabeth's friends from Athena and Grover's satyr buddies who were admiring the brand new searcher's license he'd received from the Council of Cloven Elders. The Council had called Grover's performance on the quest brave to the point of indigestion, horns and whiskers above anything we have seen in the past. The only ones not in a party mood were Clarice and her cabin mates, whose poisonous looks told me they would never forgive me for disgracing their dad. That was okay with me. Even Dionysus's welcome home speech wasn't enough to dampen my spirits. Yes, yes, so the little brat didn't get himself killed and now will have an even bigger head. Well, huzzah for that. In other announcements, there will be no canoe races on this Saturday. I moved back into cabin three, but it didn't feel so lonely anymore. I had my friends to train with during the day. At night, I lay awake and listened to the sea, knowing that my father was out there. Maybe he wasn't quite sure about me yet. Maybe he hadn't even wanted me to be born, but he was watching. And so far, he was proud of what I'd done. As for my mother, she had a chance at a new life. Her letter arrived a week after I got to camp. She told me that Gabe had left mysteriously. Disappeared off the face of the planet, in fact. She'd reported him missing to the police, but she had a funny feeling they would never find him. On a completely unrelated subject, she'd sold her first life-sized concrete sculpture, entitled The Poker Player, to a collector, through an art gallery in Soho. She'd gotten so much money for it, she put a deposit down in a new apartment and made a payment on her first semester's tuition at NYU. The Soho Gallery was clamoring for more of her work, which they called a huge step forward in super-ugly neorealism. But don't worry, my mom wrote. I'm done with sculpture. I disposed of that box of tools that you left me. It's time for me to turn to my writing. At the bottom, she wrote a P.S. Percy, I've found a good private school for you here in the city. I put a deposit down to hold you a spot in case you wanted to enroll for a seventh grade. You could live at home. But if you want to go year-round at Camp Half-Blood, I understand. I folded the note carefully and set it on my bedside table. Every night before I went to sleep, I read it again and tried to decide how to answer her. On the 4th of July, the whole camp gathered at the beach for a fireworks display by Cabin 9. Being Hephaestus's kids, they weren't going to settle for a few lame red, white, and blue explosions. They'd anchored a barge offshore and loaded it with rockets the size of Patriot missiles. 
According to Annabeth, who had seen the show before, the blasts would be sequenced so tightly they'd look like frames of animation across the sky. The finale was supposed to be a couple of hundred-foot-tall Spartan warriors who would crackle to life above the ocean, fight a battle, and then explode into a million colors. As Annabeth and I were spreading a picnic basket, Grover showed up to tell us goodbye. He was dressed in his usual jeans and t-shirt and sneakers, but in the last few weeks he'd started to look older, almost high school age. His goatee had gotten thicker. He'd put on weight. His horns had grown at least an inch, so now he had to wear a Rasta cap all the time to pass as human. I'm off, he said. I just came to say, well, you know... I tried to feel happy for him. After all, it wasn't every day a satyr got permission to look for the great god Pan, but it was hard saying goodbye. I'd only known Grover a year, yet he was my oldest friend. Annabeth gave him a hug. She told him to keep his fake feet on. I asked where he was going to search first. Well, it's... it's kind of a secret he said, looking embarrassed. I wish that you could come with me, guys, but humans and Pan... uh, We understand, Annabeth said. Got enough tin cans for the trip? Yeah. And you remembered your reed pipes? Jeez, Annabeth, he grumbled. You're like an old mama goat. But he didn't really sound annoyed. He gripped his walking stick and slung a backpack over his shoulder. He looked like any hitchhiker you might see on an American highway. Nothing like the little runty boy I used to defend from bullies at Yancey Academy. Well, he said, wish me luck. He gave Annabeth another hug. He clapped me on the shoulder and then headed back through the dunes. Fireworks exploded to life overhead. Hercules killing the Nemean lion. Artemis chasing the boar, George Washington, who, by the way, was a son of Athena, crossing the Delaware. "'Hey, Grover!' I called. He turned at the edge of the woods. "'Hey, wherever you're going, I hope they make good enchiladas.' Grover grinned, and then he was gone, the trees closing around him. "'We'll see him again,' Annabeth said. I tried to believe it. The fact that no searcher had come back in 2,000 years, well, I decided not to think about that. Grover would be the first. He had to be. July passed. I spent my days devising new strategies for the capture of the flag and making alliances with the other cabins to keep the banner out of Ares' hands. I got to the top of the climbing wall for the first time without getting scorched by lava. From time to time, I'd walk past the big house, glance up at the attic windows, and think about the oracle. I tried to convince myself that its prophecy had already come to completion. You shall go west and face the god who has Been there, done that, even though the traitor god had turned out to be Ares rather than Hades. You shall find out 
check. One master bolt delivered. One helm of darkness back on Hades's oily head. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. This line still bothered me. Ares had pretended to be my friend, then betrayed me. That must be what the oracle meant. And you shall fail to save that which matters most in the end. I had failed to save my mom, but only because I'd let her save herself. And I knew that was the right thing. So why was I still uneasy? The last night of summer session came all too quickly. The campers had one last meal together. We burned part of our dinner for the gods. At the bonfire, the senior counselors awarded the end of summer beads. I got my own leather necklace, and when I saw the bead for the first summer, I was glad the firelight covered my blushing. The design was a pitch-black bead with a sea-green trident shimmering in the center. And the choice was unanimous, Luke announced. This bead commemorates the first son of the sea god at this camp, and the quest he undertook into the darkest part of the underworld to stop a war. The entire camp got to their feet and cheered. Even Ares's cabin felt obliged to stand. Athena's cabin steered Annabeth to the front so she could share in the applause. I'm not sure I've ever felt as happy or as sad as I did at that moment. I'd finally found a family. People who cared about me and thought I'd done something right. And in the morning, most of them would be leaving for the year. The next morning, I found a form letter on my bedside table. I knew Dionysus must have filled it out because he stubbornly insisted on getting my name wrong. Dear Peter Johnson, if you intend to stay at camp half-blood year-round, you must inform the big house by noon today. If you do not announce your intentions, we will have to assume you vacated your cabin or died a horrible death. Cleaning harpies will begin work at sundown. They will be authorised to eat any unregistered campers. All personal articles left behind will be incinerated in the lava pit. Have a nice day! Mr. D, Dionysus, Camp Director, Olympian Council 12. That's another thing about ADHD. Deadlines just aren't a real thing to me until I'm staring one in the face. Summer was over. I still hadn't answered my mother or the camp about whether I'd be staying. Now I only had a few hours to decide. The decision should have been easy. I mean, nine months of hero training or nine months of sitting in a classroom. Duh. But there was my mom to consider. For the first time, I had a chance to live with her for a whole year without Gabe. I had a chance to be home knock around the city in my free time. I remember what Annabeth had said so long ago on our quest. The real world is where the monsters are. That's where you learn whether you're any good or not. 
I thought about the fate of Talia, daughter of Zeus. I wondered how many monsters would attack me if I left Half-Blood Hill. If I stayed in one place for a whole year, without Chiron or my friends around to help me, would my mother and I even survive until next summer? That was assuming the spelling tests and five-paragraph essays didn't kill me. I decided I'd go down to the arena, do some sword practice. Maybe that would clear my head. The campgrounds were mostly deserted, shimmering in the August heat. All the campers were in their cabins, packing up or running around with brooms and mops getting ready for final inspection. Argus was helping some of the Aphrodite kids haul their Gucci suitcases and makeup kits over the hill, where the camp's shuttle bus would be waiting to take them to the airport. Don't think about leaving yet, I told myself. Just train. I got to the Swordfighters Arena and found that Luke had had the same idea. His gym bag was plopped at the edge of the stage. He was working solo, wailing on battle dummies with a sword I'd never seen before. It must have been a regular steel blade because he was slashing the dummies' heads right off, stabbing through their straw-stuffed guts. His orange counselor shirt was dripping with sweat. His expression was so intense. His life might have really been in danger. I watched, fascinated, as he disemboweled the whole row of dummies, hacking off limbs and basically reducing them to piles of straw and armor. They were only dummies, but I couldn't help being awed by Luke's skill. This guy was an incredible fighter. It made me wonder again how he could have possibly failed at his quest. Finally, he saw me and stopped swinging. Hey, Percy. Um, I'm sorry, I said, embarrassed. I just... It's okay, he said, lowering his sword. Just doing some last-minute practice. Yeah, those dummies sure won't be bothering anybody. Luke shrugged. We build new ones every summer. Now that his sword wasn't whirling around, I could see something odd about it. The blade was two different types of metal. One edge bronze, the other steel. Luke noticed me looking at it. All this? New toy. This is Backbiter. Backbiter? Luke turned the blade slightly so it glinted wickedly. One side is celestial bronze, the other is tempered steel. Works on mortals and immortals both. I thought about what Chiron had told me when I started my quest. That a hero should never harm mortals unless absolutely necessary. I didn't know they could make weapons like that. Yeah, well, they probably can't, Luke agreed. It's one of a kind. He gave me a tiny smile and then slid the sword into its scabbard. Listen, I was going to come looking for you. What do you say we go down to the woods one last time? Look for something to fight. I don't know why I hesitated. I should have felt relieved that Luke was being so friendly. Ever since I'd gotten back from the quest, he'd been acting a little distant. I was afraid he might even resent me for all the attention I'd gotten. You think that's a good idea? I asked. I mean... Oh, come on. He rummaged in his gym bag and pulled out a six-pack of Cokes. It drinks are on me. I stared at the Cokes, wondering where the heck he had gotten them from. There were no regular mortal sodas at the camp store. 
No way to smuggle them in unless you talk to a satyr, maybe. Of course, the magic dinner goblets would fill with anything you want, but it just didn't taste the same as a real Coke straight out of the can. Sugar and caffeine. My willpower crumbled. Okay, sure, I decided. Why not? We walked down to the woods and kicked around for some kind of monster to fight, but it was too hot. All the monsters with any sense must have been taking siestas in their nice, cool caves. We found a shady spot by the creek where I'd broken Clarissa's spear for my first Capture the Flag game. We sat in a big rock, drank our Cokes, and watched the sunlight in the woods. After a while, Luke said, You miss being on a quest? Well, with monsters attacking me every three feet, are you kidding? Luke raised an eyebrow. Yeah, I miss it, I admitted. You? A shadow passed over his face. I was used to hearing from the girls how good-looking Luke was, but at the moment he looked weary and angry, and not at all handsome. His blonde hair was gray in the sunlight. The scar on his face looked deeper than usual. I could imagine him as an old man. I've lived at Camp Half-Blood year-round since I was 14, he told me. Ever since Talia. Well, you know, I trained and trained and trained. I, I never got to be a normal teenager out there in the real world. Then they threw me one quest. When I came back, it was like, okay, ride's over. Have a nice life. He crumpled his Coke can and threw it into the creek, which really shocked me. One of the first things you learn at Camp Half-Blood is don't litter. You'll hear it from the nymphs and the naiads. They'll get even. You'll crawl into bed one night and find your f sheets filled with centipedes and mud. Yeah, the heck with laurel wreaths, Luke said. I'm not going to end up like one of those dusty trophies in the big house attic. You'll make it sound like you're leaving. Luke gave me a twisted smile. Oh, I'm leaving all right, Percy. I brought you down here to say goodbye. He snapped his fingers. A small fire burned a hole in the ground at my feet. Out crawled something glistening black, about the size of my hand. A scorpion. I started to go for my pen. I wouldn't, Luke cautioned. Pit scorpions can jump up to 15 feet. Its stinger can pierce right through your clothes. You'll be dead in 60 seconds. Luke, what? And then it hit me. You will be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. You, I said. He stood calmly and brushed off his jeans. The scorpion paid him no attention. It kept its beady black eyes on me, clamping its pinchers as it crawled around onto my shoe. I saw a lot out there in the world, Percy, Luke said. Didn't you feel it? The darkness gathering, the monsters growing stronger. Didn't you realize how useless it all is? All the heroics being pawns of the gods. They should have been overthrown thousands of years ago, but they've clung on thanks to us half-bloods. 
I couldn't believe this was happening. Luke, you're talking about our parents, I said. He laughed. <laughs> that's, that's supposed to make me love them. Their precious Western civilization is a disease, Percy. It's killing the world. The only way to stop it is to burn it to the ground. Start over with something more honest. You're as crazy as Ares. His eyes flared. Ares is a fool. He never realized the true master he was serving. If I had time, Percy, I could explain, but I'm afraid you won't live that long. The scorpion crawled into my pants leg. There had to be a way out of this. I needed time to think. Kronos, I said. That's who you serve. The air got colder. You should be careful with names, Luke warned. Kronos got you to steal the master bolt and the helm. He spoke to you in your dreams. Luke's eye twitched. He spoke to you too, Percy. You should have listened. He's brainwashing you, Luke. You're wrong. He showed me that my talents are being wasted. You know what my quest was two years ago, Percy? My father, Hermes, wanted me to steal a golden apple from the Garden of the Asperities and return it to Olympus. After all the training I'd done, that was the best he could think up. That's not an easy quest, I said. Hercules did it. Exactly, Luke said. Where's the glory in repeating what others have done? All the gods know how to do is replay their pasts. My heart wasn't in it. The dragon in the garden gave me this. He pointed angrily at his scar. And when I came back, all I got was pity. I wanted to pull Olympus down stone by stone right then, but I bided my time. I began to dream of Kronos. He convinced me to steal something worthwhile, something no hero ever had the courage to take. When we went into that winter solstice field trip, while the other campers were asleep, I snuck into the throne room and took Zeus, his master bolt, right from his chair. Aedes is helm of darkness, too. He wouldn't believe how easy it was. The Olympians are so arrogant they never dreamed someone would dare to steal from them. Their security is horrible. I, I was halfway across New Jersey before I heard the storms rumbling and discovered my theft. The scorpion was sitting on my knee now, staring at me with its glittering eyes. I tried to keep my voice level. So why didn't you bring the items to Kronos? Luke's smile wavered. I... I got overconfident. Zeus sent out his sons and daughters to find the stolen bolt. Artemis, Apollo, my father Hermes. But it was Ares who caught me. I could have beaten him. But I wasn't careful enough. He disarmed me, took the items of power, threatened to return him to Olympus and burn me alive. And then Kronos's voice came to me and told me what to say. I put the idea in Ares's head about a great war between the gods. I said all he had to do was hide the items away for a while and watch the others fight. Ares got a wicked gleam in his eyes. I knew he was hooked. He let me go and I returned to Olympus before anyone noticed my absence. 
Luke drew his new sword. He ran his thumb down the flat of the blade as if hypnotized by his beauty. Afterward, the Lord of the Titans, he... He... He punished me with nightmares. I swore not to fail again. Back at Camp Half-Blood in my dreams, I was told that a second hero would arrive. One who could be tricked into taking the bolt and the helm the rest of the way. From Ares down to Tartarus. You summoned the Hellhound that night in the forest. We had to make Chiron think the camp wasn't safe for you, so you'd start on your quest. We had to confirm his fears that Hades was after you, and it worked. The flying shoes were cursed, I said. They were supposed to drag me down in the backpack into Tartarus. And they would have if you'd been wearing them. But you gave him to the satyr, which wasn't part of the plan. Grover messes up everything he touches. He even confused the curse. Luke looked down at the scorpion, which was now sitting on my thigh. You should have died in Tartarus, Percy. But don't worry, I'm going to leave you with my little friend to set things right. Taya gave her life to save you, I said, gritting my teeth. And this is how you repay her? Don't you speak, Italia, he shouted. The gods let her die, and that's one of the many things that they will pay for. You're being used, Luke. You and Ares both. Don't listen to Kronos. I've been used. Luke's voice turned shrill. Look at yourself. What has your dad ever done for you? Kronos will rise. You've only delayed his plans. He will cast the Olympians into Tartarus and drive humanity back into their caves. All except for the strongest. The ones who serve him. Call off the bug, I said. If you're so strong, fight me yourself. Luke smiled. Nice try, Percy. But I'm not Ares. You can't bait me. My lord is waiting. He's got plenty of quests for me to undertake. Luke. Goodbye, Percy. There's a new golden age coming. You won't be a part of it. He slashed his sword in an arc and disappeared in a ripple of darkness. The scorpion lunged. I swatted it away with my hand and uncapped my sword. The thing jumped at me and I cut it in half in midair. I was about to congratulate myself when I looked down at my hand. My palm had a huge welt, oozing and smoking with yellow guck. The thing had gotten me after all. My ears pounded. My vision went foggy. The water, I thought. It healed me before. I stumbled to the creek and submerged my hand, but nothing seemed to happen. The poison was too strong. My vision was getting dark. I could barely stand up. Sixty seconds, Luke had told me. I had to get back to camp. If I collapsed out here, my body would be dinner for a monster. Nobody would ever know what happened. My legs felt like lead. 
My forehead was burning. I stumbled toward the camp, and the nymphs stirred from their trees. Help, I croaked. Please. Two of them took my arms, pulling me along. I remember making it to the clearing, a counselor shouting for help, a centaur blowing a conch horn. Then, everything went black. I woke up with a drinking straw in my mouth. I was sipping something that tasted like liquid chocolate chip cookies. Nectar. I opened my eyes. I was propped up in a bed in the sick room of the big house. My right hand bandaged like a club. Argus stood guard in the corner. Annabeth sat next to me, holding my nectar glass and dabbing a washcloth on my forehead. Here we are again, I said. You idiot, Annabeth said, which I knew was how she was overjoyed to see me conscious. You were green and turning gray when we found you. If it weren't for Chiron's healing... Now, now, Chiron's voice said, Percy's constitution deserves some of the credit. He was sitting near the foot of my bed in human form, which is why I hadn't noticed him yet. His lower half was magically compacted into the wheelchair, and his upper half dressed in a coat and tie. He smiled, but his face looked pale and weary, the way it did when he'd been up all night grading Latin papers. "'How are you feeling?' he asked. "'Like my insides have been frozen and then microwaved?' considering that was pit scorpion venom.' Now, if you can, you must tell me exactly what happened. Between sips of water, I told them the story. The room was quiet for a long time. I can't believe that Luke... Annabeth's voice faltered. Her expression turned angry and sad. Yes... Yes, I can believe it. May the gods curse him. He was never the same after his quest. This must be reported to Olympus, Karen muttered. I will go at once. Luke is out there right now, I said. I have to go after him. Karen shook his head. No, Percy, the gods... They won't even talk about Kronos, I snapped. Zeus declared the matter closed. Percy, I know this is hard... But you must not rush out for vengeance. You aren't ready. I didn't like it, but part of me suspected Chiron was right. One look at my hand and I knew I wasn't going to be sword fighting anytime soon. Chiron, your prophecy from the Oracle. It was about Kronos, wasn't it? Was I in it? And Annabeth? Chiron glanced nervously at the ceiling. Percy, it isn't my place. You've been ordered not to talk to me about it, haven't you? His eyes were sympathetic, but sad. You will be 
a great hero, child. I will do my best to prepare you, but if I'm right about the path ahead of you, I... Thunder boomed overhead, rattling the windows. All right, Karen shouted. Fine! He sighed in frustration. The gods have their reasons, Percy. Knowing too much of your future is never a good thing. We can't just sit back and do nothing, I said. We will not sit back, Karen promised. But you must be careful. Kronos wants you to come unraveled. He wants your life disrupted, your thoughts clouded with fear and anger. Do not give him what he wants. Train patiently. Your time will come. Yeah, assuming I live that long. Kyron put his hand on my ankle. You will have to trust me, Percy. You will live. But first you must decide your path for the coming year. I cannot tell you the right choice. I got the feeling he had a very definite opinion, and it was taking all of his willpower not to advise me. But you must decide whether to stay at Camp Half-Blood year-round, or return to the mortal world for seventh grade to be a summer camper. Think about that. When I get back from Olympus, you must tell me your decision. I wanted to protest. I wanted to ask him more questions. But his expression told me there could be no more discussion. He had said as much as he could. I'll get back as soon as I can, Chiron promised. Argus will watch over you. He glanced at Annabeth. Oh, and my dear, whenever you're ready, they're here. Who's here? I asked. Nobody answered. Chiron rolled himself out of the room. I heard the wheels of his chair clunk carefully down the front steps, two at a time. Annabeth studied the ice in my drink. Okay, so what's wrong? I asked her. Nothing. She set the glass on the table. I, I just took your advice about something. Do you need anything? Yeah, help me up. I want to go outside. Percy, that isn't a good idea. I slid my legs out of the bed. Annabeth caught me before I could crumple to the floor. A wave of nausea rolled over me. Annabeth said, I told you. I'm fine, I insisted. I didn't want to lie in bed like an invalid while Luke was out there planning to destroy the Western world. I managed to step forward. I took another while leaning heavily on Annabeth. Argus followed us outside but kept his distance. By the time we reached the porch, my face was beaded with sweat. My stomach had twisted into knots, but I had managed to make it all the way to the railing. It was dusk. The camp looked completely deserted. The cabins were dark and the volleyball pit silent. No canoes cut the surface of the lake. Beyond the woods and the strawberry fields, the Long Island Sound glittered in the last light of the sun. What are you going to do? Annabeth asked me. 
I don't know. I told her I got the feeling Chiron wanted me to stay year-round, to put in more individual training time, but I wasn't sure that's what I wanted. I admitted I'd feel bad about leaving her alone, though, with only Clarice for company. Annabeth pursed her lips, then said quietly, I'm... I'm going home for the year, Percy. I stared at her. You mean to your dad's? She pointed toward the crest of Half-Blood Hill. Next to Talia's pine tree, at the very edge of the camp's magical boundaries, a family stood silhouetted. Two little children, a woman and a tall man with blonde hair. They seemed to be waiting. The man was holding a backpack that looked like the one Annabeth had gotten from Waterland in Denver. I wrote him a letter when we got back, Annabeth said. Just like you suggested. I told him I was sorry. I'd come home for the school year if he still wanted me. He wrote back immediately. We decided we'd give it another try. Okay, that took guts. She pursed her lips. You won't try anything stupid during the school year, will you? At least not without sending me an iris message. I managed to smile. I won't go looking for trouble. I usually don't have to. When I get back next summer, she said, we'll hunt down Luke. We'll ask for a quest, but if we don't get approval, we'll sneak off and do it anyway. Agreed? Sounds like a plan worthy of Athena. She held out her hand. I took it. Take care, seaweed brain, Annabeth told me. Keep your eyes open. Yeah, you too, wise girl. I watched her walk up the hill and join her family. She gave her father an awkward hug and looked back at the valley one last time. She touched Talia's pine tree and allowed herself to be led over the crest and into the mortal world. For the first time at camp, I felt truly alone. I looked out at Long Island Sound and I remembered my father saying, she does not like to be restrained. I made my decision. I wondered if Poseidon was watching. Would he approve of my decision? I'll be back next summer, I promised him. I'll survive until then. After all, I am your son. I asked Argus to take me back down to cabin three so I could pack my bags for home. And that, everyone, well, that's the whole thing. That's it. That is the entirety of Percy Jackson, the Lightning Thief. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. There we go. Nailed it. So, y'all... What do we think? What do we think? That's it. That's the whole thing of it all. Memnite is not feeling it. Everybody's going home, Memnite. Everybody's going everybody's going home for the for the uh for the I guess for the school year. So this is going to stay a summer camp. First PJO finished. Woo! Says Holly Rose. Morgan says we'll be back next summer and um let's see. 
Malacophonus Morgan. That's definitely a new name. Malacophonus Morgan, hello. It's great to have you here. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, we are going to be back next summer. And of course, uh, you're going to have to wait all the way until next week when I plan to start our next book. Everybody, this has been pretty fun, huh? Sparkle Lovegood says, I'm so glad next summer starts in seven days. Yes, exactly. So everyone, you can hold on to that hope. Next summer is going to be seven days from now. And we shall see. Well, first of all, we're going to see if these books kind of follow that similar pattern to um, Harry Potter, wherein we sort of, we, we might get a little blip of what happens during the surrounding year, but it's mostly centered around their time at this sort of special important place, this new home. Um, Fabriella, thank you and all of you so very much for staying here and being patient with my technical difficulties. I know that took up quite a bit of the beginning of the stream, but I am very, very glad that y'all were patient with that. Thank you so, so much. It would have broken my heart if I had had that and it, like, people had just, like, you know, slowly disappeared over time. But hey, you didn't. We are here. And I, I will indeed, I'm willing to move over to this screen. Memna has, has requested it. Uh, bean jar, bean jar, bean jar. I, that is how I'm going to assume that, it, oh, and it changed it on this screen too. Well, that's no good. That's not what that's supposed to look like at all. So uh, let's see what we can do about that. Okay, now, why does this look different? You may wonder. If you want to find out, you're going to probably have to go over and explore the Tuesday streams because that was the one that worked best for a pile of loot being presided over by a dragon. Now, if you want to find out what that means, you're definitely going to have to watch on Tuesdays. There we go. Now, everyone, I hope you really enjoyed today. Um, I want to talk about our characters some. We're going to be doing our beans a little bit later on, but we can't start yet. Let's talk about this book, all right? I think there are a lot of things in here that frankly feel so different from Harry Potter that it almost feels like going from right to wrong. And I want to sort of clarify that feeling um, because I think it's important to kind of identify that we are coming to art from where we are. And for a lot of us, that's coming to art from the position of people who have just had the whole ride of Harry Potter. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure the author is tired of being compared in this way. But um, I think, you know, while we talk about this genre, it's important to talk about both of them and, and how they're similar, how they might be different. I want to say for this for this chapter here um, and for the rest of this book, it feels weird coming from one to the other. Um, I think, you know, obviously we're going from like one is very school-based, this other one's very summer-based, and now we are looking at all of this and sort of wondering where do we go next? We know what the overall threat is. We know where we're kind of, where the where the forces of evil are headed. But what does that mean for Percy and where is he going to go? And that is what I want y'all to take with you. That's what I want your predictions about over in Discord. You can follow the links that are popping up right now or the ones that are in the YouTube description later on. Last week was absolutely insane, Van Saves Lives. So I want to know everyone's very favorite part of this book. What we're going through this, because I don't I don't want to necessarily like try to get my head buried in themes or what have you. I think uh, let's just talk about our favorites. I want to hear your favorite voice or your favorite sec. Well, I mean, really what I want to hear is your favorite voice. That's the, that's the question my heart wants to ask. <laughs> so I want to hear your favorite voice. Food, says Gems. Okay, so we got one in for Grover. Uh, Van says, definitely Grover's voice. I'm very glad that you've all enjoyed it so much. I thought that this was one of the ones that I really went into it feeling confident about. For some reason, it just works. Annabeth is one of the ones that, frankly, I still feel pretty, um, maybe a little self-conscious about. 
it still doesn't sound quite right, but I knew I wanted to go for something a little darker, a little less kind of chipper than Hermione. Uh, Memnite says, I love Annabeth's voice. Memnite, I thought you would probably like it because you, you really enjoyed Ginny's voice as well. And I think they're kind of similar, but with different accents. Um, Grover, another one for Grover. It has been my pleasure to <laughs> have you all here as part of this. And of course, Grover, I'm hoping we're going to be spending some more time with him in our next book. I think it would be wonderful for us to see how he intends to pursue discovering the location of Pan. What he gets up to. I would say, without remembering very well what happens at the end of the last... At, at the beginning of the last... Uh, this, oh my goodness. Without remembering very well what happens at the beginning of the next book, I would say I'm predicting that we're going to catch up with Grover in the middle of a quest that Percy's going to have to save him from. That's my prediction. Um, Heart Hook says, I like the main teacher, but I don't know how to spell his name. Would you be referring to Chiron? Or do you mean more Mr. D, like the uh, camp director? You mean Mr. D, Dionysus? Fabriella says, okay, so honesty moment. Annabeth was not my favorite first, but it's really grown on me, and now it just seems perfect for her. Okay, that is what I had hoped. I know that it's really tough to, like, commit to a voice here, um, and for all of you as listeners, it's probably even tougher than as me, because y'all have read this before in many cases. You've got your own voice here. Um, we got one for Zeus. <laughs> I'm certainly glad that you've enjoyed Zeus. We'll see how this one grows on this over time, but I thought that it conveyed a certain amount of absolutely preposterous masculinity for the whole thing, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Holly Rose says, my favourite is easily Chiron. And I don't know why I gave Chiron's voice to Holly just now. I will now be taking song suggestions. <laughs> so what song are we singing? Remember, I can take up to five. I will take the first five that get thrown in there. Um, <laughs> Lisa is putting in Soft Kitty, okay. Poker Face. Here comes the sun, zombie. Okay, those are the first four I've seen so far. Hold on, I gotta take these notes down. Oh boy. Uh, and then let it snow. Oh, good grief. <laughs> okay, and I know some people are still expressing their favorite characters. For some of you, it might get mixed in with this, but now I need the first, I'm taking the first five characters that I see. It can be from this, it can be from Harry Potter. It can be a, a terrible impression of someone else that I've never done before. First five that I see. Oh man, and my voice my voice is already drying out a little bit. I'm not gonna be able to hit these notes. I'm not gonna be able to hit these Adina notes. I'm seeing <laughs> Elsa, Dionysus, Grover, Lupin. Oh, a reprise from Lupin. Grover, Lupin, uh, McGonagall. Alright. Those are the five. <laughs> McG. I'm gonna i I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to, to bring up like a, a, a new screen just for this. <gasps> Wait a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> I just had a plan. Okay, now, never you fear. I am here. But here's the thing. I've just had a pretty interesting idea as to what I might be able to do with all of this. I was just like, I was thinking to myself, you know, I feel like I need some sort of stage, some sort of open mic sort of thing at which I can really look like I'm at home with all of this. And then I remembered... I actually pulled an image. Oh boy, my voice is going to sound very appropriately tired for this today. Um, 
I actually pulled a bunch of images for our Kids on Bikes stream. And then I remembered, I've got those saved and at least one of them <laughs> is going to work for this. Oh boy. Okay, which one do we like? <laughs> I think this one's my favorite. So we're going to start with this one, but maybe we'll get a different one every week. <laughs> Why the heck not? Okay. All right, gang, work with me. Work with me on this. Oh boy, choo choo, get on board gang, here we go. Um, now, everyone, this is going to be Lupin singing Here Comes the Sun, and you know me, you know I cannot help but generate some kind of lore around why. We know Lupin does sing Here Comes the Sun, but why does Lupin sing Here Comes the Sun? <laughs> okay, here we go. This is so goofy. <laughs> you gotta move all the way over and sing into it. I have to. I have to go all the way over here. Uh-huh. What about my but, but my real mic's over here? You what will I do? Have to, you have to approach it like you're a cat approaching its mom's teats. Because excuse me. Check this out. Look what I've just done. Now, now you have it's Percy almost perfect. There we go. Everyone? Oh, but I can't see the lyrics now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got this. Y'all y'all think any of this is going to stop me? You won't. You would be incorrect. What'd you say? Lift that chin up, man. Lift that chin up? Yep. Are you, are you arguing it needs to be done like this? Is that better? I just wanted to stay out of the out of the spotlight there. I want to see the spotlight coming down. Because if I'm not in the spotlight, where should where else would I be? <laughs> it's where I it's where I deserve to live <laughs> in the spotlight as Lupin singing "Here Comes the Sun." Okay, so um, hello everyone. It's very nice to be here. Um, this being the first Hogwarts annual talent show, I. I thought I would, well, sort of get things kicked off. I know that a lot of you students have some idea that people are going to look at you silly. And I can tell you something. Everyone who has learned so much in any of the classes here know that each one of the teachers have got something behind that educational facade. And, well, take me. If you want any proof that people are willing to look past your your flaws, the things that you might consider to be the worst of yourselves, take me as proof. A werewolf singing at the moon. (laughs) 
Here comes the sun, do-do-do-do. Here comes the sun, and I say, it's all right. Dum, 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 dum. Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it feels like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun, do-do-do-do, here comes the sun, and I say, it's all right. You get it, of course, because I'm a werewolf and the moon and everything. Um, it's not important. Little darling, the smiles are turning to the faces. Little darling... It seemed like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. And I say, it's all right. <laughs> sun, 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 here it comes. Sun, 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 here it comes. That's right, the moon is setting. Sun, here it comes. Everyone, thank you for this evening. I hope you've all had a wonderful time. Sun, 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 here it comes. Oh, goodness gracious, this was a mistake, wasn't it? Oh, goodness gracious, there's more. They're, they're rushing on telling me that there's more to this song. Little darling, I feel the ice is slowly melting. Little darling, it seems like you since it's been clear. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Here comes the sun, do-do-do-do, here comes the sun, and I say, it's all right. <whistles> it's all right. And everyone, I hope you remember, it's all right. I do expect all of you to be in bed within the next hour. This has been the first annual Hogwarts Talent Show. I hope that we'll get more students up here next year. This has been ridiculous. Y'all, I can't thank you enough. <laughs> Absolutely wild. I hope you're having a good one, everybody. What a week. <laughs> what a week. Did not think I would be doing that, but... As far as I can tell, I need to start expecting that. I need to start sort of adding that into my schedule, as it were. Sparkle Love Good says, James, did you get Remus drunk again? I would never. Did you hear that noise that he made? <laughs> I would never get myself intoxicated at a student function. Not a chance. And yet I sound like I'm absolutely soused. Y'all, thank you so much for all of your generosity. I would encourage you very, very much to go check out everything new over on the Patreon. You can find those down below. And don't forget, I'm looking for a good spot to slot in some regular side karaoke over there.
everybody. You've been absolutely grand, and I hope you'll have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you again on Tuesday for The Hobbit. Goodbye.